former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring, is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, let's talk some quarterbacking in the NFL in a couple minutes, but uh, the latest on the UNLV quarterback race, or as I like to call it on misspelled tweet, rave. Sent that one out the other day. Sometimes spell check fails. Or I'm just going too fast. And Quarterback rave between Harrison Bailey, Cam Friel, Doug Gumfield. It's going to be a DJ battle with like, some glowing outfits and stuff. <laughs> Caleb Harrison has been out there a lot. Caleb's a former Rebel quarterback. All right, Caleb, week by week, you know, we're starting to develop what we think is a picture for at least game one. So for you, who's in the lead right now with those three guys for the Rebels for uh, the tilt next Saturday, August 27th? Well, first, I just want to say I'm, I'm, there's worse things you could have misspelled that word as besides <laughs> rave. Sure. So that's, I'll point that out first. But, no, I, 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 think, uh, I think for me the, the, the leader right now, as far as what I've seen in fall camp, I think is, is Doug Brumfield. I think Doug um, probably to me would be my pick to be the starter come week one. Um, and, and the way that I view football and the philosophy of a starting quarterback, I would say he'd be the starting quarterback um, until, God forbid, an injury knocks him out of it. I think it's, it's time to give him the keys and let him drive this car um, and see what he can do with it. And that's just my philosophy. I don't think there should be any further competition after camp. I think once you name a starter, it's his job, and he has to do something drastically bad in order to lose that. Right. So that's that's how I feel. And it's it's been that way pretty much since the second day of camp. If I went every time that I went out to practice, you know, the first day of camp of actual practice, I wouldn't have said Doug. I would have I, just looking at what they did that day. I would have said Cameron Freel looks like the, the starter of the bunch. But um, just about every practice since then, there's been like a different level of Doug's play where he's kind of separated himself, at least in my eyes, um, to say that he's the guy. Um, and again, there's could be so much that's wrong with what I think and how I view it. Um, and I'm not saying I'm in Arroyo's head. I mean, he hasn't told me anything. I don't have any um, confirmation of this from Coach Arroyo. But just based on what I see in the quarterback and the confidence that he has in the pocket, um, the, 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 the physical gifts that he has, his height, his arm strength, his, his delivery, his, uh, his athleticism on the edges, I think he gives the Rebels the best chance to win. Um, and he put that on display last season, as well as um, at times during fall camp. He's been, he's been the guy that I say has, has looked the best of the three that are competing for the job. So I'd say Doug Bumfield has, has the edge to start uh, week one. So the one name you didn't mention there was, was Bailey. And I, I feel like everyone I talk to that is not covering the team or is not a practice or is not following the team very closely just assumes Bailey's the starting quarterback. Where is he right now and how far away is he from – maybe trying to assume that role? I think, based on what I've seen, uh, I think he's number three of the top three. I think uh, Doug and Cameron have done a great job of taking advantage of their advantage in the fact that they um, had this playbook for longer. They've been around Coach Arroyo and the lingo, I guess, of football. They, they kind of know the expectations, so um, they're able to play, and I've, I've said this before, with more confidence than Harrison was able to do. And that's not Harrison's fault. It's not a knock on Harrison's talent. It's not to say he's not good enough or can't be better, let's say, than Doug or Cameron. Um, but right now, he doesn't have, at least when I watch the confidence of them during uh, some of these reps with, with the receivers and uh, the small portion of team practice that we get to see, um, he, the confidence just isn't there. And that's part of 
not being able to cut it loose because you're playing catch up with the playbook. And I know we're at the end of fall camp, um, but we've had a whole fall camp and, you know, spring ball as well, where his confidence maybe hasn't peaked yet. Um, and once he gets to that level of comfort, we may see a better version of Harrison Bailey. But I would say he's um, he's probably three of the of the three. He's probably number three. And that doesn't mean he's way down at the bottom. It just means the, the race is very tight. Like it's not it's one A, one B, one C. Um, and he's just one C right now. All three of them, I think, could start. Um, but then, I, I, you know, I, I've heard I've heard that a lot about, you know, Harrison and the expectation because of he's coming from Tennessee and all these things. And people say they, they thought he'd be the starter by now or they figured he would be starting or things like that. And it's like, well, what is that based on? Is that simply based on the fact that his name's Harrison Bailey and he came from Tennessee and he's coming to UNLV, so got to be the starter? Is, is that what it's based on? Or is there, is there something that I missed where he's so far better than people think UNLV quarterbacks are capable of being um, because there's something on his film that pops or there's something that he's done during fall camp or maybe some, you know, some measure of his talent that I'm not aware of. I'm just basing my assumptions and my predictions based on what I see on fall camp, based on what I've seen from Harrison in the film that, you know, the limited film we had on him from Tennessee. There wasn't anything on the film that said he's head and shoulder above anybody that's on the roster at UNLV. There wasn't much there, but there wasn't anything that said he's, he's the next Heisman Trophy winner. And I think it's unfair to Harrison. Um, and this is not me trying to bash Harrison and say anything negative about him, but it's just... We, we put expectation on people for, I think, the wrong reasons. Um, and I think without knowing Harrison Bailey, without watching him intently, um, to say that he's expected to be clear away as soon as he comes into camp, he's supposed to be the best quarterback in the room, is unfair to him. You know, he still has some development to do. He still has to learn. He still has to prove it. Um, and to put that expectation on him as soon as you see, you know, Tennessee transfer coming to UNLV, that he's supposed to be the starter, this guy's going to lead us to a bowl game, it's not fair to Harrison. I think there's still something he has to do to prove to himself even and to his teammates now that in the UNLV locker room. Um, and it's not fair for him to bear the weight of the, the, the program on his shoulders based on no evidence of him on the field or how it works with him and his teammates in the new playbook. So um, those are my reasons why I say Harrison's probably number three. I think, I think well, we haven't seen the best of Harrison and it's due to the fact that he's not the most comfortable yet. I think we're Doug and Cameron are more comfortable in this system with this playbook, with this language than Harrison has been able to show. And he's not able to cut it loose and really show what he's made of at this point yet in his time at UNLV. Caleb Herring, the former UNLV quarterback, he's one of the voices of the Rebels. We're also doing a podcast. We're calling it UNLV All Access. It's a podcast with Learfield. We dropped our first episode last week. Episode two drops tomorrow. We go a lot deeper and uh, get into stuff that we we see in practice and stuff we're hearing from the coaches. I like answering uh, tweets from people, and I don't know if you saw this one sent my way, but someone said, so is Bailey not what he was cracked up to be? Which, again, going back to what you said earlier, like he's cracked up to be a Tennessee quarterback. That's what people are basing this on. The person said I thought, uh, or I would have thought he'd have QB1 locked up by now. And Caleb makes some really good points, but I, I want to point out there are schools all over the country that are a uh, group of five schools that get power five transfers and oftentimes a power five just he, he doesn't win the job we just saw a rash of transfers recently which i this really annoys me when you see a kid like it's clear two weeks out from the season and they're not getting the job they're like i'm out like really um a west virginia quarterback was at western kentucky he didn't win the job he's transferring well wait he's west virginia how did he not win the job at western kentucky i will go i'm gonna make the most random reference ever going back to when i was in college right 
at good old Rutgers, lowly Rutgers. They had a guy, Ray Lucas, who actually made it to the NFL. Well, they had a guy transfer in from Miami who was a local area guy, Brian Fortson. He comes in. Of course he's going to. It's from Miami. He's going to win the job. He didn't win the job. And Ray Lucas was the better guy. He actually played a little quarterback and utility player in the NFL. You know, Caleb has been through this a million times. Caleb was offered by some Power Fives as well. He settled on UNLV. So this gap between Power Five and Group of Five isn't always as big as, as people think. So one of the cool things that I think, you know, for me, uh, we've put out there uh, are a lot of videos, right? Just some throwing drills. And mm-hmm. you saw the throwing drill that I posted the other day, right, Caleb, where it was all three right. guys getting a chance to throw, you know, a sideline route, and then you see the receiver, where the ball placement is, and if, they, if they're if they able to kind of toe-touch and stay in bounds. And, and one of the videos, Cam Friel was a little inaccurate on three throws, and Clint Sterner, a former Cowboys quarterback who's been on with us before, chimed in, and he wanted to get all over the receiver. What did you think of that? <laughs> I, well, you know, first, I watched the video first before I saw his response, and I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, I'm focused on the ball placement. I'm trying to understand what the, the point of the drill was. Um, I know that the route they were working on was a speed out, and it's about timing with the quarterbacks and getting the ball out in that third step, no hitch, um, simulating the timing because it's a timing throw. Um, and the way I learned the speed out um, when I was playing, this is different offenses use it differently, but it was a way to steal 10 yards from a off coverage in the boundary. And anytime you come up, you see that off coverage to the boundary, you're going to audible or check that boundary route to the three by one receiver side, run the speed out. And it's like stealing if you time it up perfectly and the intent of it. And we actually practice it this way was to hit it right on the sideline because that's how it's unguardable. If you run that speed out right to the side and you're just supposed to run out of bounds, you're not looking for yards after catch, you run the drill the way I learned it. I'm not saying that's what UNLV was doing in that way, but you run it so that the receiver catches and goes right out of bounds. So I'm looking at it through kind of that lens. Is that what they're trying to do here? I see some receivers catching the turn up, but but I noticed that one receiver got carried out of bounds by the ball. That's kind of how I saw it the first time through. Um, and then, you know, when when the, the, the tweet came back and, you know, it, Clint says, is if, if that was me, we'd stop practice. And back in the day, back in my day, you know, they, we'd have stopped practice and made sure that that receiver knew it was unacceptable not to finish up the field and plant your foot in the ground. Which, hey, I, I understand that sentiment where you want players, running backs, everybody who's a ball carrier to catch and practice turning up and finishing. Um, but in no way <laughs> is, is that rep, what I saw in the video that you posted, is that rep going to cause a head coach to blow a gasket. And I think as former players in media, I've been guilty of this before, so I'm not, I'm not exempt. I think a lot of former players uh, will, will glorify the heydays or, or toughen up the way things were back in the right. day right. or make statements just to make it seem like things were so hard back in my day. And the way these kids get away with stuff is just unacceptable. I think there's a lot of that that happens. And um, when we kind of think about it as players, we're like, mm, yeah, maybe coach would have said something to me. But he's not stopping practice. Well, let me. He's, I'll break in for a second because these videos, you're not always picking up the uh, the sound right you know, off to the side. There, there were coaches saying, "Hey, Malik, you got to finish the play. Finish right." And that's that's completely. I, so they, and they, I've been so at they did. They were co- yeah. they were coaching him. You just right. They're I don't think anyone. You know, at the end, things. people probably couldn't hear it. Right, and that's that's and like like we've both been at practice. We hear constantly they're saying that, not just for that rep, but even if you are finishing, they're going to tell you finish, finish, finish all the way through like that. So it's not like the coaching point wasn't being made. 
but the insinuation that it would have been a practice stopping infraction to me was just like, okay, I get it. But what are we doing? Why, why is that necessary to point out the guy like that? And, you know, on social media, put him on blast like that. Um, so, you know, that, that stuff happens. But I, I don't think that at all that that rep would have warranted stop practice. I've been a part of practices that got stopped and it's, it's, you, you know, when it's happened, the coach is getting ready to blow a gas because practice is just awful all around and it's happened. But not that one, not that rap. And it, it was just like one of those things where it's like, okay, let's, let's stop trying to make our heyday seem so much tougher and more <laughs> physical and more disciplined than today's football. Yeah, there was actually some former NFL players out at a Raiders camp today that were, uh, I thought they were going to kind of go old school of like, oh man, back in our day. Actually, and I'll say they weren't that long ago that they were playing, but they said, wait, they're going to condition in this weather? Oh, boy. So I was like, wow, yeah. okay. So these are not like the old, like, tough guy. Like, they don't do the same way anymore. I was, I was very impressed by that. Uh, but we talked a lot about the quarterback battle at UNLV. There are some quarterback battles in the NFL. I want to get your thoughts on just what is your favorite quarterback battle going on right now? Baker versus Sam Darnold, Geno versus Locke, or the newest entrance, which everybody's talking about now, Daniel Jones, Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor with the first team reps this week. Interesting. By the way, I also mentioned – Pickett and Trubisky. Yeah. yeah. But you concentrate on whatever you want. So there's very interesting ones. Obviously, the Baker one steals the headline because of the week one matchup in the season. So I think, oh, yeah. you know, that quarterback competition is in the competition because the Panthers would be stupid not to let that help the marketing, right? Like to let Baker <laughs> versus the Browns be the, the, the storyline. Come on, that's going to happen, right? Um, and I, I do think Baker is the better of the two quarterbacks, actually. Um, so that that's always going to keep my eye just waiting for that that reunion ver- versus the Browns. That's going to be epic, right? Um, Geno versus Locke in Seattle is is very interesting, and it's also interesting because of the potential of what happens if, for whatever reason, the Niners release Jimmy Garoppolo. Because I think that is, even though it's in the division and all those things, I think that is a, a likely landing spot, and they'd be a, a, a prime candidate if Jimmy Garoppolo is a free agent, not a trade, but a free agent. Um, able to make a decision and be shopped out. Seattle makes sense. So what happens if that turns out to be the case? Do they throw that into a three-way quarterback battle? But right now, Geno versus Locke is interesting. Um, the Steelers, based on the reception that Pickett got in, in Pittsburgh, um, there is now some controversy as far as who the court. I don't think it was maybe, you know, in Tomlin's mind to make that a big quarterback competition. I think Trubisky, the veteran guy, probably gives you the best chance to win immediately. But the way that the fans responded to Pickett and the way that he performed, at least to start his reps in that game, it, it gets you wondering, like, oh, my God, he might be ready to be the next big thing in Pittsburgh. That's interesting. So um, and there's just, a, you know, Dan Jones trying to prove it kind of thing. Like, is he, is he going to prove it? Because he, he's out of a job in New York, at least, if he doesn't get it in this year. Um, there's other quarterback situations across the league. The Falcons is interesting. The Colts probably have a lot riding on a new quarterback um, because they have a really solid defense, and they're probably one of the better contenders in the AFC if they have a good quarterback. Um, so it's like, is Matt Ryan really going to work? And it, so there's a lot of those question marks around the league. What's Chicago going to be like? Do they do anything to help Justin Fields out? The answer in preseason based on game one is no. So is he going to actually work out? Uh, Jacksonville, it, are we going to see Lawrence take the next step and be the guy? Is Tua... Is this a last chance thing for him with Tyreek? There's so many different quarterback situations across the league. I think that make this season for the NFL interesting. There's so many different quarterback situations where the quarterback has to prove it. 
Um, and there's teams whose playoff hopes hinge on the fact that the quarterback gets it done or the quarterback who is who they expect them to be as the starter. Um, and if he's not, they're, they're, they're going to flop. And that's, that makes the storylines for quarterbacks in the NFL very interesting. So I'm excited to watch all of it unfold, and we'll see who comes out at the top after all of it. Caleb, great job. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, guys. Have a good one. Take care. Got very personal at the end. We taped the podcast on Wednesday night, so I'll talk to Caleb in just a little bit. All right, moving towards the halfway point of this show at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. It's Cofield and Company on the road here in Summerlin, a boss of the book. Dwayne Colucci is going to join us in a couple of minutes. You want to come out and play the machines, the tables with your Rampart Rewards card because they've got the barbecue fun gift giveaway Saturdays in August coming up. You can uh, accrue points and win a digital meat thermometer. I need those. I always lose them. I would burn them out. Also, uh, end of the month, the final Saturday of the month, a uh, bottle of wine, Dark Harvest Cabernet Sauvignon, Rewards going out all the time here. You just come down, sign up for the rewards card at the Rampart, and you can be in for gift giveaways on Saturdays. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Live in Summerlin from the Rampart Race and Sportsbook, it's Cofield & Company. All right, rolling on, Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Lots to get into. Week one right around the corner. We still got preseason football, some weird betting trends in the preseason, and we're glad to be out here. And Dwayne Colucci's on the horn, the boss of the book. He's up with Steve and Adam. Dwayne, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, hope you're enjoying the book. Yes, yes. Uh, awesome. Before we get to any of the uh, wagering and gambling talk, tell people what you guys have planned for contesting, because you guys always have great contests during the football season at Rampart. Yeah, we got several promotions going on, I'll be honest with you guys, and it's going to be a real fun uh, football season. We have our uh, basic football drawing this year that we're going to introduce to the public where everybody's a winner. You earn one ticket regardless of win or loss on a straight bet, two tickets on a teaser or parlay, five tickets on a parlay card wager, and they are electronically, as as long as you use your Rampart Rewards card, Put into the system, and we'll have the drawing each and every Tuesday. And you're talking about 500 first prize in cash. So that's always fun. And uh, as always, we're going to have our parlay card giveaway, where if you make a $50 or more parlay card wager, you get free lunch on me and the guys at the book. This is just a fabulous promotion, Steve. All you got to do is put in a $50 parlay card, and we're buying you some lunch either uh, chicken fingers, a burger, hot dog over at the deli, or you can get $5 off the only buffet in Summerlin. So it's a lot of fun, as always, out at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook during the football season. And uh, we also have the jackpot card, as always, at Rampart and South Point for the opening week of the NFL. You could grab it right there. It's at the counter. I'm sure you've seen it, and you're familiar with that. We've been running that for several years now, guys. So, as always, we got a ton of specials and a ton of promotions at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. And I'm glad uh, you mentioned the buffet because, you know, not all the buffets reopen, so you guys have your buffet. And the other thing is, uh, Late Night Eats used to be a staple all around Las Vegas, and uh, not everywhere opened up 24-7 or even 23-7. And Earl Gray over here actually has uh, overnight specials from midnight to 5 a.m., yeah, it's amazing, and you could see those prices. I mean, you're talking about five ninety nine burgers and 
different menu items, and we're definitely trying to bring that old-school feel back to Las Vegas. You know, we're a local property. We've been around for many years. I've worked on the property for 20 years, so it's just exciting, and we try to offer the best deals in town, and the buffet has been getting off-the-hook reviews, guys. You've got to try it out. It's amazing. We have a great selection there, hand-carved meats, pizzas, all sorts of items, so the buffet is great. I know you guys were raving about the deli earlier on the show. Uh, I saw all the banter on Twitter, and we really, uh, you know, the Clubhouse Deli is one of our fabulous food outlets. And don't forget, we're going to be opening our Italian restaurant in September. Keep an eye out for that. It's going to be great. Let's talk a little uh, preseason betting. First of all, uh, overs have been coming in big time. I think it's 14-3 and three on the over now, and he's usually – these games are usually dreck, so they're usually low scoring. But how are you guys reacting? What do you think is happening? Why is that happening with the overs? I'll be honest with you, Steve. I'm uh, I'm perplexed. I mean, we opened all 16 games last week at totals of 36 or under at the Rampart South Point. So I didn't anticipate all the arm tackling that was going on, but it was definitely happening. You could see it. And some of these quarterbacks that are second and third string really had chips on their shoulders. So I think adjustments will be made this week. We naturally made adjustments from my side of the counter, uh, you know, raising up some of these totals. Now you're seeing a lot of 40s as opposed to the 36 and under. And uh, definitely the second go around, I think teams will adjust and definitely defenses will have to make the more severe adjustments because they, some of them didn't even look involved in those games. I mean, you could see some uh, mediocre quarterbacks that were excelling. You saw 50 points in that Falcon-Lion game, and, uh, you know, you check out all the parody that's on HBO. You thought the Lions really had a monster D, and Falcons are getting 27. So it just goes to show you coaches use different rotations in preseason. It's nothing to base the regular season on. Most of the big names don't even play more than a series, but Mahomes was deadly when he was out there. You could see he used all his different weapons, and uh, some of the guys, they come out and they do establish, but they're only out there for two series. Well, Dwayne, let's hope it comes back to earth. All these giveaways and specials and everything, you have to go away if people keep hitting these overs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you, the baseball's been hard enough, guys. We've been getting crushed. I mean, it's been so trendy and streaky that it's so hard to put up lines uh, each and every day. And, you know, Chris does a great job. But I'll be honest, the public is having a great baseball season. You know, when the Dodgers are winning games, you know, you have 70-plus wins and 65 of them are by more than two runs. The book is going to get hurt a little. Same with the Astros and the Yankees for a while, but now they're back to earth, definitely. Well, I wanted to ask you about them specifically, and, and you can tie in, you know, when the Dodgers win 12 games in a row on the run line, you got to just keep jacking those numbers up. But how do you set those numbers on the Yankees when they've got the 70-plus wins, they're one of the best teams in the league, but they can't win right now? So how much do you have to adjust? Yeah, you definitely have to adjust. And even with us lowering them in a game like tonight, uh, for example, we opened them at 145 at the Rampart and South Point, and it got back down to 126. So we're still seeing a ton of dog money, even uh, though it's the Yankees at home where their record has been really strong as opposed to on the road. You're talking about a team that's almost, uh, you know, 500 on the road, but they're 41 and 17 at home. Still, the adjustments have to be made. I mean, LeMahieu has an injury now. You have uh, Stanton. He needs to come back. They definitely need his bat in the lineup. You can't just rely on Aaron Judge as great as he is with his 46 homers. I mean, he's on record pace. We see that. He's on Maris-type pace. But the Yankees still now have lost 
I think they're two and eight in their last ten and three in a row. So we make the adjustments as the uh, you know the trends go, and definitely it's been so formful this year. Teams uh, go on long winning streaks as well as long losing streaks, and that's tough to overcome because certain teams are on parlays every night, guys. Uh, you know, especially the Astros, the Dodgers, the Mets. The Mets have been uh, uh, definitely a thorn in our side at the Rampart and South Point. Well, we're going to continue to take it. You know, public's got to get us once in a while or they never come back, guys. Dwayne Colucci is with us here at the uh, Rampart. A lot of great football specials on the way, contesting, also drink specials like uh, $2 draft beers on Bud Light, Ultra and Mango Cart, $3 bottles, $15 buckets. That all begins with the NFL kickoff on Thursday. September 8th. So, most heavily bet action in week one. I was just taking a guess. Is it the Bills, Rams, the Raiders, Chargers, Tampa, Dallas? Is it something else? What game's getting the most action? Wow, you hit all the games on the head there, Steve. I'm telling you now, that first game is going to be a massive handle just because of the matchup. I mean, it's two possible Super Bowl teams, and definitely we're booking some great action on that. Dallas-Tampa, you know that as well. That's going to be a marquee matchup. Any game Tom Brady and the Dallas Cowboys are involved in, we're going to garner some excellent, excellent handle. The Raiders now, it's the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, guys, it definitely merits a lot of attention, just like the Vegas Golden Knights. We love having that handle. But I think it's going to be probably that opening game, Buffalo and the Rams. Everybody's just chomping at the bit to bet on the NFL. Uh, I think it's going to be an excellent matchup. The game open, pick them. Now we have Buffalo minus two at the Rampart and South Point, 52 and a half. Everybody's talking about Allen to Diggs. A lot of good video, a lot of positive vibes on that Buffalo side of the field. Against the defending champs, it's going to be a great, great matchup. And definitely also Denver and Seattle. You know, Russell Wilson coming back into enemy territory now, which is funny to say, at five and a half points, guys, on the road in Seattle. Almost unheard of because Seattle is such a great team at home. But now, you know, uh, a lot of different changes, quarterback changes, etc. We'll see how it plays out. Dwayne, we appreciate the time today. I'll also say I'm uh, fired up about the buffet being open because on Mondays you do New York Deli Night, so you're in with the F and B, no doubt. I'm seeing I'm seeing corned beef on here, black and white cookies. <laughs> Is that matzo ball soup? Oh, you can eat New York Deli Night. <laughs> it's unbelievable, guys. Definitely come out and see me. Join us at the Rampart. It's just an awesome, awesome time. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Adam, for having me on. And the food is off the hook like you're talking about. You guys experience it. Thanks, Dwayne. We'll see you. Thank you. Dwayne Colucci, Rampart. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk to one of the all-time great goalies in NHL history. Grant Fuhr is on the way. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, you guys have also added a punter to your roster. Can you talk a little bit about him? Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about him. I think he was down at the frat house, you know, like at a keg party or something, you know, where they got him <laughs> from. So we got some conditioning work to do with my guy. But um, we just said, hey, someone go find a punter around campus. And so we found one that actually used to punt in Division One. So The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. So, interesting story with Lane Kiffin. Saying he found his punter at a frat party. This isn't entirely true, right, about this guy, Charlie Pollock? Well, he, he may have. 
Uh, I mean, he may have actually found him there, but it's not like some random kid that was punting a keg or anything like that. Uh, it's a kid who transferred from Reno in 2020 and just hasn't really resurfaced anywhere. And apparently he was on campus. Uh, somebody must have seen him at a frat party or something, of course, at least according to legend now, and just told told Kiffin, like, hey, this kid can punt. Let's put him on the team. This is crazy, though, because I'm looking back at the uh, Nevada Sportsnet story from December 17, 2020, of this Pollock kid enter, uh, entering the portal. So, you know, I'm sure he assumed, like, hey, someone's going to pick me up. And then a couple of years later, he hadn't been picked up. And this story is more common than you think. Someone goes on the portal and they're like, well, no one wanted me. But then he lands at Ole Miss and somehow, you know, it, it's not, he didn't get found at a, a frat party. I'm sure he reached out to the program. Sure. I'm sure he tried out. That's a good funny line. Of course. But come on. Uh, and by the way, he was the number 13 recruit in the nation as a punter. Uh, not number 13 overall, the number 13 punting re- uh, recruit in the right. nation uh, coming out of high school. He's uh, from Marietta. Marietta. Yeah, Marietta, Georgia. Sorry, I jumped on you there. Yeah. But yeah, he's actually an SEC area guy. Yeah, ended up at Reno, left, and now has resurfaced. Not sure. It, it's not clear whether he was attending school or just maybe hanging out. And somebody said, hey, do you want to come back to school and punt? Uh, but, yeah, he's, he was eligible to join the team as of Friday and is out there practicing, and apparently they found themselves a punter. Are you jealous? Is this the kind of story you'd be all over? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. A lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of focusing on how he's doing, but I would be getting to the bottom of what fraternity house it was. I know that was in the story. I, I don't believe any of it, but uh, it's a great story. It would be dynamite if he was punting kegs. His legs fight. I, I've, I've been strengthening my leg by punting kegs. You would. I had, you, cannot, you, can, you cannot believe how hard my leg is. It's a fantastic. It's party like a trick. Muay Thai fighter. Remember, we used to talk about those guys when we were talking USC. You'd have guys train in Thailand. And they're like, yeah. oh yeah, they just take a stump over and over again to harden their leg. Like what? It makes you better. It probably. I mean, you're probably not in peak physical condition after that to actually, you know, plant your foot and try to boot one. But might work. Maybe this is what he was doing. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Hanging at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. It's Cofield and Company. Tracking baseball. We've been talking a little football betting. NHL is right around the corner. So excited to talk some NHL and also three ice. Grant Fuhrer, one of the legends of the NHL, a five-time Stanley Cup winner, is up with Cofield and Adam here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you guys? We're good. So let's talk about three ice first, because the concept of this is awesome. So I want you to tell the audience about the concept, and we know we got a big event coming up on Saturday. The concept and then how you got involved. Well, the concept's pretty simple. If you like overtime of the NHL, then what they've done is they've taken that and turned it into a league where we've played. This will be the ninth week coming up in Vegas playing for a little bit of a pot of gold so there'll be a little bit of excitement with that but it's the exciting part of hockey where it's pretty much all offense and when you're playing three on three full ice there's no place to rest yeah, for sure well let's let's talk about that format a little bit i love nf nhl overtime i love the three on three it's fantastic but i feel like a lot of traditional hockey people don't love it so what makes you appeal what appeals about this to you I like the fact that it's high-paced. I mean, I think if you, look, if you go back to the 80s, there was a lot more offense in the game. 
And that's what three-on-three is. If there's more offense in the game, you're going to see lots of odd man rushes. And that's just the fun of it all is the goalies have to be good. They don't have much of a choice. Yeah. So for me, I find that exciting. Well, and for you, I mean, a go- this sounds like a nightmare for a goalie. Yeah, but I'm that weird guy from the 80s that enjoys offensive hockey. Okay. So when Mr. Patrick Fair. reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in coaching, it was kind of a no-brainer. I love offensive hockey, and three-on-three is offensive hockey, so I had no problem saying yes. Uh, right now we have a chance to give away a four-pack of tickets to three ice coming up on, and I said this weekend, it's next weekend, Saturday, August 20th. Do I have that right? No, it is this weekend. I'm lost okay. on the dates, Grant. Yep. I'm all over the place. Orleans <laughs> Arena. I don't know what what, what week we're in, but this we got Saturday. a we got a four pa- uh, four pack uh, available right now. Ari's going to set up a listener with a four pack of tickets. Three six four eleven hundred. Yeah. So you know when we talk about uh, this three on three concept, it's it's obviously fast paced, great hockey. But the coaches are some of the legends of the league, yourself included, obviously. How much kind of competition is there between you guys, coaches? Oh, I think we're all still pretty competitive. I mean, that's something I don't think you'll ever take out of us, where the minute you get around the game again, you become competitive. So I think it's kind of a way for us to live vicariously through the guys. <laughs> are, are, you, uh, are you much of a trash talker as a coach? No, not really. More the subtle type. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Well, uh, obviously some great action coming up, the three-on-three, uh, three ice over at the Orleans uh, this weekend. Very much looking forward to that for sure. Uh, what what is your take on kind of where the game of hockey has gone? You said it used to be much more offensive, but the game in general, um, not always kind of a, a, sl- a slog fest where teams are getting very defensive, but we have gone in that direction a little bit. So what is your kind of thoughts on just the state of hockey as it is right now? I think it's starting to get back to an offensive game again. I mean, I think as soon as the NHL took the red line out, it became more offensive. It became a much faster game. So I think... Bigger, faster athletes make for a more exciting game. And here in Vegas, obviously, there's been a lot of talk lately about uh, goaltender and Robin Leonard, who will miss the season. Uh, have you followed much of his career leading up to this point? I've followed a little bit since he was on the island. So we've seen this, the history of injuries and that sort of thing, and also seen how good he can be. So it, it's going to be a tough one for Vegas to swallow. I mean, he's, he would be a big part of their team. He's getting hip surgery. Uh, we talked to Mike McKenna, who's a former goalie who did some work as an analyst for the Golden Knights, and you know this was last week, and we got into the whole discussion like, hey, even at 31 years old, like, is, is hip, could that be career-threatening because it is so key to what you guys do? It can be. I mean, for a butterfly goalie, the one thing you have to have is good hips. I mean, as a stand-up goalie, you could get away with having hip injuries, but as a butterfly guy, you have to have good hips. And most of the modern goalies are butterfly goalies. So it's one of those injuries that's going to be a tough one. And the fact that that he's looking at taking a year off tells you that it's probably a pretty severe injury. So when Adam was asking you, and Grant Fuhrer's with us, when he was asking you if you follow Robin Leonard, I don't know if you followed what was going on here the last couple of years. When when those guys were together, there became this, this not rivalry between the guys, I don't think, like out in the open, but rivalry between the fans or Leonard fans and Flurry fans. And... Like, it turned into this weird, contentious thing where it, it didn't feel like they could coexist. You're a guy, you, you always had a good running mate. So what's, what's key to having two goalies who can coexist? I think it's a partnership. And it's something that the coaching staff has to realize, and it's something they have to run with. 
I mean, if, if you look at all the teams that have won Stanley Cups over the last few years, they've always had a partnership where if a goalie got hurt, another guy could step in and play right away. And sometimes one guy will play a little more than the other, but you need to have two goalies just in case. And the game more so now than ever with the travel and the fact that there's not as many days off as there used to be makes it that much tougher. Yeah, some of your best years you played a lot of games, but there were a lot of years you, you know you played 45, 46 games. Like, could you guys have won all those cups if just one of you was playing 59, 61 games? I think we still could have won the cups. We had a pretty good hockey club, but at the same time, <laughs> it made it made us better because you pushed each other to get the net. And I think that's what made us so good is that one, you had to be good in practice every day. Two, you had to be good in games to be able to get to play. So it forced us to be better. How how easy is it for outside distractions, outside forces to infiltrate a locker room? Doesn't take very much. I mean, it only yeah. takes one person to listen. And that, that's, that's the hard part. And the, good, the good teams can tune that out, and you have 20 guys that are all pulling in the same direction, but it only takes one guy to upset the apple cart. So outside noise trickles in pretty easy. Great. You, met, sorry, you, you mentioned uh, you know, a couple Stanley Cups in your career, just a few. Yeah. Uh, does it ever get old? Never. That's the easiest <laughs> way of putting that. Winning never gets old. I guess what what continued to drive you? You know, obviously, you know, great great town around you as well. But what continued to drive you guys after you've won a couple to just keep that focus, keep that uh, that you know sense of urgency that you need to win a Stanley Cup? Well, for our group of guys, we enjoyed winning, and I think once you get a taste of winning a Stanley Cup, you want to do it again. Then after you've won a couple, even three, that taste is still there, and you want to keep winning. So it's what drives you, it, and you know each year is going to get harder and harder. And sometimes it takes a challenge like that to push you through to the next one. And now the, the question of the interview, and I'm sure you're asked about this all the time, not that you're responsible for the entire country, but why hasn't a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup since, what, the 90s now? We're going on, I think, 29 or 30 years, right? Uh, 93 to be exact. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> not that I track that, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What has happened? It's been a strange dynamic. I mean, a lot of the teams in the U.S. got better, and unfortunately, a lot of the Canadian teams didn't. So it goes in cycles. I mean, there's a couple of the Canadian teams that are starting to get better now. I mean, Edmonton's going to have a chance to take a run this year, but then you look at a team like Colorado that they're going to have to get through who are dynamically good. You look at Vegas, they're always good. So parity in the NHL has gotten better and better, and I think that's the fun part of it. This is a nutty question, but in places like Toronto and Montreal, does the fervor, the fan intensity, the media intensity, can it actually backfire in terms of pressure on the players with those organizations? Like, it's just too much? I don't know if it's pressure. I think it's ex- expectations. I think that it, it's better termed as expectations. I mean, the Canadian fan has big expectations, and as a player, you have to put those same expectations on yourself. If you don't, then it's going to eat away at you. Yeah, we had uh, Max Pacioretty, who was you know here in, in Vegas for a while and just got traded, unfortunately got injured, uh, with the Canes. And he did a podcast last week, and he was actually saying, he's like, I, he just never really adjusted to the lack of pressure in Vegas. Like, it was so much different in Vegas than when he played in Montreal. He said he, he loved Montreal. He loved, you know, being in, you're on the edge all the time. Well, the fans keep you accountable. I think oh, that's yeah. the fun part is you don't get to kind of slink off into the background 
they want to know what you're doing all the time. And it doesn't really matter if you're out with your family having dinner. If they've got a question, they're going to ask you that question. So <laughs> there's that. There's the account of, I call it accountability. Some people call it pressure. I just figure it makes you more accountable. So, Grant, are you a, uh, a Vegas guy? Are you a fan of Vegas? I am. I am, actually. <laughs> I enjoy coming over. We sneak over, play a little bit of golf over there, and it's always a fun place to hang out. I like, uh, I like Grant saying a little bit of golf. You're, you're pretty good. You've had some, uh, some pretty good runs in the Tahoe tournament and, uh, and other celebrity tournaments. Uh, we've had some good times. We've played terrible, too, at the same time. So <laughs> we, still, we still work at it a little bit. Grant, thank you so much. Uh, we're looking forward to the event this weekend, and we know uh, Three Ice has been here on the ground for several events at the Orleans. Really, really cool idea, and thanks for coming on with us and giving us a few minutes. Oh, it's my pleasure. Guys, take care. There he is, Grant Fuhr, former Edmonton Oiler, five-time Stanley Cup winner, and like I said, going back, uh, you know, was always in a, a partnership, was in a Moog early in his career with the Oilers, and yeah, I like how he put that kind of lightly, where he's like, yeah, we're a pretty talented team, yeah. Kind of, decent. kind decent. of, until they until they decided to, to break things up. So, um, I know we have at least one more giveaway later in the week for the uh, the tickets to Three Ice. But in the meantime, uh, go to Ticketmaster.com. You can grab your own tickets. You can also register for tickets up at LVSportsNetwork.com. That's LVSportsNetwork.com. I wanted to get into Leonard a little bit in the five o'clock Adam because we were going to start out with a little bit of hockey. But we haven't talked to you a whole lot on Cofield and Company since the hip injury thing came down. What do you think happened here? Because I, I I don't know. I get the feeling that someone had to know, Leonard did, right? You would think, and his doctors did, that this could happen. And I don't I don't know why I get the sense that like this on from the outside, this seems like a devastating thing. But why do I get the feeling that the Knights were like, okay, we better be prepared for this? They're not, they're not fully prepared. Well, maybe they are. Maybe they, you know, maybe they just decided, hey, if that happens, we'll deal with it. We got Logan Thompson. Like this, this couldn't have blindsided them. No, the Knights. There's I, no way, right? I do wonder how much. Maybe there wasn't. Uh, maybe maybe there wasn't communication or trust between Robin Leonard and the team and. It seemed like he was upset with how they handled him medically, and you know maybe he didn't fully trust uh, what advice he might have gotten, and wanted to. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly how it got to where it is, but clearly he was very hurt last year. I mean, he went from one of the best goalies in the league in the first half, maybe the best, to barely being able to stand up, and and them coming out and saying he's fine. And so something happened along the way. Doesn't that just disappear during the off season? <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, there'd be, I, I think I'd have some lingering resentment. Yeah, I, I, I felt I like would. I was misused, mistreated. Yeah, I think I probably would. All right. Well, five o'clock hours on the way. I think there's a way we can tie together. Maybe a lack of communication in the off season and this injury coming up as a surprise, and the odd deal right now with Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. Right. I mean. Garoppolo was in a, I almost said a World Series, in a Super Bowl with the Niners. And, like, they're barely talking about him. Apparently, he's just, when he's there, he's just hanging out on other fields. I guess there was almost no communication for the offseason for a while. And, uh, like, you sent the story over about GG, the latest development. And I was like, man, that, that kind of feels like that could be some of the stuff that was happening with Robin Leonard and the Golden Knights.